Your Partner in Success Radio is a free business podcast with host Denise Griffiths. It's all about great stories, conversation, and context to help you move your business and life forward with actionable tips and advice from her guest experts. To listen and subscribe, just find us on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you consume your podcasts. Welcome to your Partner in Success Radio. I'm your host, Denise Griffiths. And today, Lisa Power Strobel, I hope I said her name right. Lisa, did I? Did I pronounce your last name right? Yes, you did. That is so rude of me. I should have already known this. Anyway, Lisa is joining me today to share her experience, all of her experiences in successfully building brands, teams, and customer loyalty. Now, she has more than 25 years of experience in the apparel industry and has led global teams in technical design and product development and has been featured in Sourcing Journal, Nashville Fashion Week, Textile Excellence, I'm cold. I'm going to warn you all right now. I'm cold. My feet are cold. My tongue is not working. After 15 years at Abercrombie and Fitch as the Vice President of Technical Design and five years at Under Armour, Love Under Armour, as the Vice President of Product Development and Quality, she then moved back to Tennessee for a much-needed break. So during those few months off, she discovered a product called Banded, B-A-N-D-E-D, and it's a fashion accessory company that's on a mission to create great products that serve an even greater purpose. And I'll tell y'all get it to I will get her to share that with us, what it is and why she did it. And that's in her hometown, and she instantly fell in love with the brand and the mission. So after serving as the executive vice president for a season, she jumped at the opportunity to purchase the company, and she has not looked back since. So today, Lisa joins your partner and success reader to share a whole multitude of things, and they're all important. What she learned about building or rebuilding a brand, how to build morale and trust when you take over an existing company, that can't be fun. How to lead during a pandemic or any business crisis, here we are a year later, we're still trying to deal with it. The importance of team flexibility and how to build it how to pivot quickly to meet the needs of your consumers, and advice for younger female professional working to build their careers. Lisa, welcome to your partner in success. I hope you'll do most of the talking because apparently I can't, (laughs) so welcome. (laughs) Well, thank you so much for having me and sharing your audience with me. I'm super excited to to talk to you, and I I understand um, how cold you are. It's pretty much the same here in Tennessee, so... Um, but thanks for that intro. That was um, that that was great. I think that was a fantastic summary of of my career. <laughs> oh, great! It's cold all. <laughs> you know, I live. I was sharing with you in the green room. I live in the deep south. I mean, I'm 15 miles from the Gulf of Mexico. We live in Humidville. I mean, it's almost always humid. We may get five days in a row of winter and autumn if we're lucky normally it's just human my air conditioner is a powerhouse it works all the time (laughs) and I've had my windows open literally since Halloween I think there's only been one day since Halloween or even before that I actually closed the windows today I might have to close the windows my feet are just going ow 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 and I'm kind of (laughs) I've got fuzzy slippers on but I really like being cold it's my natural it's just my natural thing, and people will say, well, how in the world, if you like cold, why aren't you in Alaska or Maine? How did you wind up in the Deep South? Well, I married a Southerner, but I won't be doing that again. So here we are. So let's talk. 
That's all you ever need to know. It is cold. Um, but I love it. I'm actually really enjoying it. So before I wander way too far off the path here, tell people a bit about yourself and what is banded? I mean, I went and looked at it. I think it's a terrific thing, but I want you to tell people what it is. Sure. Well, banded, very simply put, is um, we're a hair, a fashion hair accessories brand that gives back. And really, our mission is to create great products that serve an even greater purpose. So when we talk about banded internally, you know, we want to just make a really great product that people just want because it's beautiful, it makes you feel good, it's functional, it does what it's supposed to, it holds your hair back. You know, so we want people to to want the product simply for itself. But then the give back is very much an integral part of the brand. It's just part of the brand DNA. So there's that, you know, that feel good factor of, you know, doing something good for your money when you're buying something that you love anyway. And if I can talk a little bit about the the give back first, we we have a, a program that we call One Equals Three. And what that means is for every one product that's purchased, we provide three meals for kids in need. And, I mean, I'm just still amazed that we are able to do that. I mean, a headband is not a very expensive item or a pack of hair ties. So, you know, the fact that we can we can sell a headband and provide three meals is just fantastic. And we do that through our partner, uh, Food for the Poor. And they're based out of Florida, actually. And they're a, a very large humanitarian organization that, that does a lot of things. They do a lot of disaster relief housing, education, but we work with them specifically on their food ministry program. And they mostly um, service families in Latin America and the Caribbean, and we're just super proud to to partner with them. And it's a, I went and looked at your website for two reasons. Number one, I have very curly hair. It's also very soft hair, floofy. If I make the mistake of brushing it, I look like Hagrid, so I don't brush it. I just try to try to <laughs> Under control. You have some terrific bands, and I'm like, mm, which one or two or ten do I need? Because sometimes just keeping a hair tie in my hair is a problem. It just, even though I have a mass of hair, it's soft, and bands want to slide out of them. So, oh, maybe there's something there. And I did find some, but what I was really fascinated with was the gifting that you do, the helping that you do. And my question is, and was, with, is this something that you that was already in place and you have just grown it, or did you add that how did this come to happen yeah it was it was in place long long before I joined the company. It was there really from the very beginning and I, I'm glad that you you know you talked about the headband because that's actually what the company was founded on. The entire brand was built around a non slip headband because that's something that internally. Um, people were talking about they couldn't find a headband that didn't slip. Um, some of the guys that, that worked here at the time, their wives were constantly saying that. So, you know, they created, um, they, they set out to create a non-slip headband, and, and they did. It's velvet-backed. It has a, a patented elastic pocket construction, so it fits a lot of people. It doesn't slide. But also from the very beginning, they knew that they wanted the brand to have a give-back aspect. And they initially started working with um, – with Amazuma, which was, um, there was a local girl named Katie Davis, and she um, adopted, I think, 13 kids in Uganda when she was like 20 years old. It's, a, it's an amazing story. Um, it, it was kind of a, a, an odd thing. I actually picked her book up just randomly when I lived in Baltimore and read it, 
And then when I moved here to Tennessee and learned about Banded and learned that that's who they started their give back, I was like, oh my gosh, I picked that book up when I lived in Baltimore and read it. I had no idea. Um, so that is not something that I brought to the company, but it is something that I fully believe in. And, uh, you know, that really gets a lot of us out of bed in the morning and off to work. And we're super proud to be able to, to help feed kids. You know, there's no accidents. These things happen for a reason. Absolutely. <laughs> um, so, but, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, I was just going to say that, um, you know, we worked with um, Katie and Amazama for a long time, and there was just kind of a natural connection there because she was from the, the same area that Banded was founded. But um, over the years, we uh, moved over to Food for the Poor, and, you know, we've had a great relationship with them for the last several years, and they're just, they're fantastic to work for or to work with, and, and they just do amazing work. Okay, I have to ask you, I mean, you've got really a a strong band of experience or group, how do you want to bucket, bucket of experience in the apparel industry. I mean, you've worked for Under Armour. You've done a lot of, lot of work with some big companies. How much angst or was there any angst when it came time for you to move and say, you know, I... You know, maybe just this is not where I need to be anymore. I've done all I can do. I've done my best work, but now I need to do something different. Did it scare you to death? I mean, reading, you know, your bio, I just went, oh, my God. I wonder if she ever sat in the corner and said, I don't know what I'm doing. I've done it. So I was wondering if you'd done it, too. Yeah, I mean, obviously, it was not a decision that that I took lightly um, to to leave Under Armour. It was it was just, I mean, I've I've had been so fortunate um, with the career that I've had, and I absolutely loved Under Armour. And it was a hard decision to leave, but I just felt like I had done that job for a long time. And when I looked ahead to like what the next steps were. I was kind of surprised to find I just wasn't excited about it. And, you know, my husband and I, we've, we've been married for 28 years. And, you know, we had a lot of conversations about, okay, well, you know, maybe it's just time to, to do something different. So we both decided to just um, take some time off. We were fortunate that we were in a position we could do that. But also um, his father had passed away recently, and um, our other parents had several issues happening. So we just took kind of a big life step back and said, okay, what's really important right now, if you're really not feeling this career and whatever's next, like maybe it's time to just move home and spend some time with the parents and, the, you know, the siblings. And, you know, we hadn't lived near them for 25 years. So it was just kind of a, a really big kind of life decision um, to take a step back and then just kind of wait and see what came up next. A lot of people don't have that opportunity. I'm so glad that you did. And I'm so glad that you said, you know, Banded and its message is a great fit for me. So tell me how it's doing. How long have you been working with or how long have you owned Banded? Well, I've I've owned the company since the end of 2018. So I've had kind of two full years now um, really at the helm. And, and we're doing great. Um, we had to do a lot of work up front, just kind of, redefining the brand and uh, really rebuilding the brand. And that was actually why I was, I was brought in in the first place um, as executive vice president, was just to kind of relook at Banded and help to, to define like who, who it was, who it wanted to be, and to move beyond um, just headbands and make it you know, a broader assortment, but in a way that made sense and in a way that would scale. 
So that's really what we spent a lot of time on that first probably year and a half that I was here, was just really kind of redefining who we were and figuring out, you know, who was our customer really and who did we want her to be and how did we want to show up and how important was the give back, all of, all of that. And, you know, I was super fortunate that, you know, I did work for two powerhouse brands. I mean, Abercrombie and Under Armour are two just amazing brands. And I've always been very fascinated by that concept of, of brand. And I learned so much at those places just of, you know, it's not just about the product, it's really how you show up everywhere if you really want to define a brand. So that was really exciting to come to Banded and really kind of work with the team that was here and kind of redefine all of that. And we're doing great. I mean, the pandemic was a, was a tough year, but it turns out, you know, headbands are essential. And when you can't get to the hairdresser, um, people want accessories and they wanted headbands. So, I mean, it was a, a very challenging year for sure. Um, but we, we came out okay, and the brand, I think, looks better than ever, and we feel really confident. And, you know, again, we're just really proud of the product and, and of the give back and um, of what we're, you know, creating here together. Good. For, I'm so happy to hear that. I got to thinking, I think it was World War One or World War Two that there was kind of a, I would call it a meme, but they didn't exist back in, back then. But the common knowledge was that the best thing that you could buy was lipstick and chocolate. <laughs> I think you know, people wanted they wanted to look pretty and eat something yummy. So you're kind of talking about the same thing. And look, I get it about the headbands. I use more hair ties than anything, and I've been buying them from the Dollar Tree. And I'm not going to do that anymore because honestly, their product maybe they're just old. But you know, I'll tie my hair. It takes a lot of tying because <laughs> of my hair. But they'll just they'll snap in my fingers. And that just annoys me. So, you know, I'm looking for something stronger. And I love the idea of, of headbands, which is not something I really dealt with until I came across you. But because they never would stick. You know, they would either have those little combs in them and they would hurt my head or they were too tight right. because that was the only way I could keep my hair to stay off of my face. And then I would be cranky because now I had a headache. So I'm looking at yours going, hmm, I love the idea that they're, they've got a velvet back to keep my head, my hair where it's supposed to be. Like it's terrorist hair. I know this. I admit it. So I've got to find a way to keep it, keep it controlled. And that's not easy for a lot of people. Yeah. And, and you know, that's one of the things, and, and it can feel sometimes very frivolous to talk about hair, but you know what? No, How we have it. We wear you it. Up and you're having a bad hair day, and it just kind of changes everything. But, you know, how you present yourself to the world, how you feel about yourself, you know, like it or not, vanity is a part of that. And just, um, you know, you want to look good, and you certainly want to want to hold it, hold it back. And, you know, one of our best products is actually our athletic headband. And, you know, that has to be very functional. If you're, if you're working out or, you know, and again, that's something I learned very well at Under Armour. You know, if you're working out, you don't want any distractions. So if something's supposed to hold your hair back, like, it needs to work. And, you know, we feel the same way at Banded. And then you also want products that don't damage your hair. You know, there are exactly a, kind of a surprising number of women that really do deal with hair loss and are very concerned about hair breakage and things like that. And, you know, hair ties can be really bad for your hair if you're using the wrong kind. So, you know, we do put a lot of thought into that of, you know, we want things for people that are very non-damaging, for people with thin hair, people with very thick hair, curly hair, straight hair, so, you know, we really do think about that when we've designed the line to make sure that we have 
um, products that, that work for all of those different hair types. Okay, so when you took over this company, and it, from my understanding, you worked with them before you actually bought the company. Yes. How much, I mean, you had to build morale and trust, obviously. So I'm guessing that you had already built some of that in by working for them or with them before you bought the company. What did you learn during yeah, that process? Yeah, I, I think that that... And I think that that definitely helped, you know, I, and I'm definitely somebody that um, I'm, I'm very hands-on. I'm, I'm not a micromanager at all. I, you know, I trust people to, to do their jobs and I don't have all the skills to do everyone else's job, but I'm very hands-on on. And um, I really, I guess I would sum it up as I find what works is like a combination, combination of uh, listen and lead. So really, you know, showing interest in people, asking them about their job. I mean, there is truly no unimportant job within a company or it wouldn't exist. Um, so I, I roll up my sleeves, I do whatever. You know, I joke and say some days I'm the CEO, some days I'm, I'm the custodian. And, you know, I joke about it, but it's actually, it's actually very true. Um, and I think just, you know, leading by example saying, hey, I'm willing to pitch in anywhere I'm needed. And then that also sets the expectation for the rest of the company that, you know, it's really the expectation for everyone who works here. We're a small company, and there's a lot to do. And um, I just believe that, you know, the more you know about what your teammates do, the more um, successful you can be and the more proactive people can be. And okay. so, I don't know, I didn't really find, um, you, you know, showing, showing that I was part of the team really wasn't much of a problem. Um, you know, adjustments are always hard, and, you know, I come from, a background that was very much, you know, work hard, play hard, but, you know, we put in the hours at work, we worked at a very fast pace. So there were definitely some, you know, some changes that, that needed to happen. And, you know, most people got right on board, uh, you know, a few people didn't, but that always happens. Um, and, you know, what I found is people were really looking for leadership. And a big part of what we had to do was to say, okay, well, what is the work that everybody's doing? And, you know, how does everybody feel about it? And what I was finding is that, you know, people were doing a lot of development on a lot of extraneous products. And they were great products, but they weren't necessarily right for banded. So we kind of had to strip away a lot of those extra things and just say, okay, we're really going to focus in on what's right for the brand and what's right for banded. And people were really hungry for that focus. And, you know, it just really helped to kind of narrow everybody's priorities and they got excited about the product again and, you know, everybody got excited when we would do a launch and, you know, so that's really how I approached it is just listening to what they needed and then, you know, rolling up my sleeves and jumping in there with everyone. No kidding. So and let's talk a bit about branding because it is important and it's very easy. I'm guilty of it myself. I see a lot of companies that are like, oh, we're going to do the spaghetti dump, throw it. If it sticks, we're going to do it not realizing that their brand is not at all what they're doing now. And I think we're it's something we all do. We're just we're trying to make money, we're trying to serve a large contingent of people, but paying attention to what the brand actually is is so important. So while you were doing this, what did you learn about your brand? What did you say, hmm, this is exactly where we started, where we're going to go, what do we have to clean up? Yeah, well, 
We started back at the very beginning and said, okay, well, what made the brand successful? And, you know, that was our non-slip headband and a few other products that came along the way because, I mean, brands do evolve for sure, and, and you need to evolve, and, you, you know, you need to change with the times. But, you know, you have to be really cautious when you do that as a brand. So we just had a lot of conversations about it and said, okay, well, who's buying this? And that kind of became a big part of it because, mm-hmm. you know, I also learned – when you work with a creative group of people, you can spin any story that will make something work. You know, you can you can create connections that maybe aren't there. And we kind of almost talked ourselves into a few things. And then the way that I was really able to step back and say, okay, well, we, we for the most part, we sell our brands at um, gift and accessory markets. We go to Atlanta, we go to Dallas, we go to Las Vegas. And we're for the most part in about a 10 by 15 foot space showing our product, talking to buyers when they come in. And that's really um, the main way that we do business. And so it kind of became very easy when I realized that because I said, okay, do these products fit in that scenario? Are we talking to the same people? Are we hanging it on the same wall? Are we telling the same story with it? Because if we're not, you're really talking about something completely different that would need a different marketing plan, probably a different sales group or different sales channels. It's different buyers. And that really is not the same thing at all. So that became a kind of a really easy lens for us. It took us a little while to find it, which might sound surprising, um, but that has really worked for us to just say, you know, if, if, if we sell to mainly fashion boutiques and gift shops and salons and spas and things like that, you know, sure, we can expand the product assortment within that range, but kind of once you step outside of that, it's really a completely different thing, and you can't sell it in the same way, and you're not selling it to the same person. Does that make sense? It does. It's not as if you're, you know, loading your products up on Amazon and selling there. It's a completely different – let me see how I want to say this. It's a completely different mindset from the consumer I would think they want to know you like you and trust you and if you're right. you know if you're working with people who are going to be hands-on selling your products and you're training them I would guess how to sell your products that seems to me that that would be the best bet for some companies yeah absolutely and, and the other thing that that I found is um, we do have a we have a small baby line and it's so cute. It's actually just adorable and it fits into that kind of gift shop scenario that I talked about. Mm-hmm. And, and people love it. It's, um, it, it's you know it, we probably do 10% baby, 90% women, but it is a really great product that people love. But then as I was really looking at it, even with on the label, it said banded, but it had other names on there too, um, like Wonder Ones and and Sleepy Heads and and things like that. And I'm like well, hang on, that's just taking away from the, the banded name. Like, why are we calling it something else? So, again, just kind of really taking a big step back and, and looking at things and saying, no, we're one brand, we're, we're banded, and we're going to build consistently around that. And that's been really powerful and very successful. So just kind of stripping away some unnecessary things that maybe seemed creative and seemed fun at the time, um, you know, we really have to put Bandit as a brand first and kind of, you know, bucket all the other decisions around that. That makes sense. And I never thought to go look at, you know, things that had been done in the past. And like you say, they made sense. They were cute. You know, they probably spoke to the search engine, you know, or search engines would go, oh, okay, you know, baby stuff. But you're right. When you're, when you're 
branding your company, you have to be pretty rigid in I think in how you you know go ahead and, and get it out there and then add more information as you know on your social media on your your newsletter exactly. you know give that other information, but they have to know you like you and trust you. And if they're confused by how many names are on something, I mean, just as a, for instance, my dog went out this morning and and managed to lose her coat in the bushes. It was on its last legs, but she just stripped (laughs) it completely off. I'm not going out there. It's flooded. She's just going to have to wait for me to, you know, order another one, but I, I can't remember the size. So, you know, there's information you need on some things and there's other information you really don't need. Did that even make sense? Yeah, no, it totally makes sense. And and I think that that's, you know, just one way that you really build company loyalty. You, like you said, you know, you want to recognize a brand. You want to trust that brand. You want to know how it's going to fit you or how it's going to perform. And, you know, you have to be careful to put too much confusing information out there. And, you know, I, last week on our – we do have a, a retail website also where that's direct-to-consumer. Um, and – I saw two orders come through, and it was um, two different women, and it was their 14th order. And, I, again, I just kind of took a step back and said, wow, because I can't think of very many brands that I've ordered something from 14 different times. And to see that, you know, twice in one day was, was you know, pretty cool. And I, I think that, you know, that, that loyalty that we have from our customer, you know, she she deserves to be talked to in a in a very clear way. And, when we put a product out, we need to make sure that it is, you know, something that, that speaks to her and that we are educating where we need to and that everything is very clear and transparent. Exactly. And listen, we're all in a hurry. You know, we're having to order most everything online, including groceries, depending on where you live. I do it because I'm an introvert. I'm happy with ordering everything online. But I want it to be quick and easy. I want to know what it's going to do for me or my dog in this case. I want to know what is the proper size. That's all I need. You know, I need to know what the product is. Have I ordered it before? Do other people like it? Is it going to work? I don't need a whole bunch of fluff with it. And that's where I see brands making a lot of mistakes. They just pound you with information you don't, you're don't. you not looking for. Right, right. And, and you certainly want to call out special features so that people know they're there. Um, right. But, but there's definitely a, a limit to, you know, how, how, a, how much you can squeeze on a, a a hang tag that's, you know, the size that goes on a headband. There's just not a lot of space. So that's something we kind of run into also to say, okay, this thing has all these great features, but, you know, how are we going to tell people about it? Or are we just talking to ourselves and, and, you know, she's not ever even going to know about these things. And, you know, that is where social media and things like that can, can really help. Um, and gosh, you know, social media is just such a huge part of, of, brands right now and that's another area we really had to to do a lot of work and say okay like how how do we want to look you know social media wasn't really part of the bandit at the beginning and it's it changed a lot depending on you know who was handling and whether it was external or internal and you know so we really put a lot of effort into you know how we wanted to look on social media to the point that we like cut out lots of pictures from other brands and hung them up and said, okay, this, we want to look like this. We don't want to look like that. And, you know, we actually had people on staff that would say, I don't see the difference between these two things. So we had a lot of really great conversations around that. And in some cases we're like, you know, we want our person to look 
happy and healthy. Um, we had conversations about whether or not it was okay to have, you know, alcohol in the pictures. I mean, you name it, we talked about it. Like there was really nothing off limits when we were really defining who we wanted to be and how we wanted to, to show up. And that was actually, you know, a really fun process and it's something that, you know, we continue to do. We have a really open relationship within the um, within the team and there's really no question off limits. And if somebody's unsure of something, the you know, the best thing to do is just bring it up and, and ask the question. Exactly. And I love that you guys do it that way. One thing that, that I have found, you know, as I work with my clients to get their brands out is that we need them to not overburden people with too much information. That is what social media is for. You draw attention to, let's say it's a hairband for curly-headed people. Then, instead of just wham, 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 and making me have to read all this stuff, over time, I would rather just, you know, read how other people are doing with it, read your testimonials, watch your website, get to know that particular product, get to know that particular company. And you do that with stories, in my opinion, great stories. Right, right. And and we have a, we have a lot of great stories. We have, again, especially during the pandemic, we, um, we've always known that we had a large um, customer base that included nurses and other healthcare professionals, you know, basically anybody that – needed to keep their hair out of their face all day for their job. They love banded. So the pandemic was a, a really great time for us to, to talk to that, you know, that customer base of healthcare professionals and teachers and, you know, to really try to figure out what we could do for them. And, you know, of course, as a business, you're looking for opportunity. You're looking for ways to stay in business, ways to make money. And, you know, every time there's a crisis, there's an opportunity but we also, you know, tried to be very careful with that and say, okay, there's there's a lot of things we could do that would maybe, you know, make money. Masks were a great example. Um, but we really thought about, like, who is our customer already and what does she need from us right now? And uh, what we found is people were ordering our athletic headbands, our non-slip headbands, um, which are always core kind of steady items for us, but those went through the roof. So we had to figure out how to get more of those very quickly. And then we decided, we had a lot of conversation around masks. And in the end, we decided not to create a mask because we just felt like there were other people out there that were going to do it. We're going to do it probably faster and better and bigger volume than us and, and quite frankly, beat us on price also. And for us, we felt like doing a button headband to hook your mask to was much more authentic, authentic to our brand. And we could get that out there much faster for her. And so that we did that. We also had a product that um, we call a head wrap, an infinity head wrap, but it's basically a neck gaiter, and, you know, that could be modified to be worn as a mask. So we kind of leaned into things that were already authentically us and that we knew we could do really well and get more of fast, and we left some of the other opportunities kind of out there for other people. And we had a lot of great conversations with nurses. You know, we got a lot of testimonials. We got a lot of emails. We, you know, we did a lot of giveaways and, and things like that and um, gave away a lot of fabric to people who were making masks. And it was just, you know, it was a great opportunity for us to really connect with, with somebody who was, you know, part of our core base anyway. Exactly. Describe the, the button, the button product. I think I've seen it, but that sounds fascinating. Sure. It's actually a, a really simple product, but it's kind of, kind of brilliant. 
And it's, um, we took our best-selling athletic headband, which is called our Accelerate, and it's just a, a wide, soft headband with some wicking properties and a, a short piece of elastic in the back. And we just sewed two buttons, one on each side, kind of uh, behind your ears, and you just hook the straps to your mask to it. Um, we kept seeing pictures of, of all these nurses with their ears chafed and bleeding. And, right. you know, people were trying to figure out ways to, to keep their mask off their ears. So it was just a super simple solution. And we were able to take that from concept to actually available for sale within five weeks. Um, it was, which is super fast for development. And, you know, we make the majority of our product overseas. We have one or two amazing suppliers over there that, I mean, we just consider them part of the banded family. They're amazing and they, they help us out. And they, um, they were able to, to get this product to us very, very quickly. And yeah, five weeks from, you know, beginning to available was, was pretty amazing. And uh, we, we did that really well. And I'm so proud of it that the team executed that so quickly and so well. You know, I was in my local grocery store yesterday. It's a home homegrown grocery store and everything in there. Well, most the half of the store is fresh or organic or locally sourced. When I go shrimping, I go to the store. They already have it. I don't need to go to the Gulf. But <laughs> I was talking with one of these guys. He was wielding the mop, and I happened to be in his way, as I tend to be. And I was, oh, I'm sorry. And we got to talk, and and he was wearing what I call the UN face mask. I I don't know how anybody can breathe wearing those plastic shields all over their face. He was miserable. He was absolutely wretched. He couldn't breathe. He couldn't talk. I had a hard time understanding him. He was ready to quit his job because they were making him wear this mask. And yeah, you know, I understand it to a degree. Part of me just says fresh air is the best thing for you, but that's neither here nor there. But I'm <laughs> wondering if grocery stores wouldn't do better to have your product and dispense with these plastic UN shields, I mean, I don't think they work. And they look nasty. To me, it looks like you, you're probably trying to get the condensation off of this darn thing. They're just horrible. I don't know how anybody can wear them. Yeah, I don't I don't think I could wear one of those plastic shields either. I mean, A, I'm kind of claustrophobic. I, me too. I have some, um, like, allergy kind of asthmatic issues also. So, you know, for me, I... I I really do try to wear my mask anytime that I'm out, but it, it is hard. It is hard for me. So something that, A, is protective, but, you know, allows me to breathe a little bit easier, too, is, is kind of that balance that, that I've had to try to find. And, you know, the, the ear thing was kind of interesting because I haven't been in a situation other than a couple of times where I had to wear a mask for, you know, six to eight hours, three days oh, in a row. But I did go to really? one show during kind of – there was, I don't know, there was a little bit of what I would consider the, the lull in, um, in the pandemic kind of before Thanksgiving. And we did go to one show. And so I had to wear a mask all day. And I, by day two, I'd put on that button headband and I'm like, oh my gosh, this thing really does work so well. And uh, I was just super excited about that. I mean, it didn't move all day and my ears were fine. And I, you know, forgot I even had the headband on. Unfortunately, I could never forget I was wearing a mask, but at least it wasn't, you know, hurting me. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's been just a, a great, it's been a great product. And we, we have sold a lot of it um, in hospital. A lot of hospital shops and, and scrub shops have reached out oh. to us to, to get that product also so that they have it available right. for their staff. 
I would not have thought of that. Well, I think grocery stores should be your next big push. Because I'm telling you, I walk in and I see those people and I'm waiting to see an Uzi pop up from somewhere. It just looks bizarre to me. Too much, you know. Yeah. Apparently I have a very vivid imagination, but I they don't look healthy. They cannot possibly be healthy. Yeah, I think we'll we'll all be very, very happy when uh, this is something that we look back on not so fondly. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So let's go and thank you for sharing all of that. So we've been talking a bit about how to lead during a pandemic or any other business crisis. What what kind of advice can you give people who are in any kind of business? I am, you are, a lot of us are. What should we be looking at? What should we be really focusing on? And what should we just say, you know, that may not be all that important right now. We need to be trustworthy. What do you tell people? Well, I, I think the first thing you have to remember if if you have, you know, if you have a team is that, you know, as worried as, as you may be about the business, the first thing they're worried about are, are safety and security, you know, and, and that can be safety from, you know, the illness or whatever, but it's also just, you know, am I going to have a job next week? Like, that's really what's top of mind for most people, I think, in these situations. And, you know, I kind of had to, had to remind myself about that a little because my brain, you know, immediately went into, oh, my gosh, like, how are we going to deal with the shutdown and, and how are we going to make up this revenue because a lot of our, a lot of our shops closed down. And, oh. you know, just kind of taking a, a step back to, to be human and, and say, okay, we're all in this together, we're all worried, but what can I do to, to help make my team feel more comfortable and, you know, that's, again, where, you know, honesty and transparency, I, I think, just comes in. And, and I was just very honest with them. I was honest with them about what we were seeing in terms of, you know, store shutdowns and uh, returned orders or canceled orders. Um, but I was also very quick to, to talk about any wins and any positive things also. And I think just being calm. I mean, when the world is in chaos and even your home is in chaos, you know, your kids are home and your spouse is home and you're all trying to figure out how to be there together and still, you know, work and go to school. It's just, it was absolute chaos. I know for a lot of families and, you know, as a leader, I think just maintaining a sense of calm and creating any sense of consistency that we could just really helped with, with managing the chaos. And, you know, we don't have a lot of meetings at Banded. That's something that I left behind in my other career is just the, hey, I'm going to go to a different meeting every half hour all day. I just, you know, we we don't do that here. Um, We don't have time for that. So we have a Monday meeting. That's kind of the most critical meeting that we have every week. Everyone shows up, and basically you talk about any hindsight you learned from the week prior, any wins from the week prior, and then what your priorities and your needs are for the rest of the week. So we hung on to that really, really tight, all during work from home and, and, and we still are because there's still, you know, someone who's been exposed that has to be tested. And, you know, we kind of have very flexible work from home versus come into the office right now. But we've held on to certain things like that meeting very tightly. And it just gives us something to kind of center around and something that feels very normal. So there's been a few things like that. So I think just anywhere that you can you know, create a sense of consistency and a sense of security. And one of the things that that, um, that I did, and the team knew about it from the minute I started applying, was for one of the pay t- Paycheck Protection Loans. 
you know, so I think it made them feel better that I was on top of those types of things. I was trying to get us some help. And then when we got it, you know, we were all very excited. And I was able to say, okay, well, the rules of this this loan are, you know, we can cover everybody's paycheck for the next eight weeks. So, you know, I can't make I can't make any promises right now. The world's kind of upside down, but you don't have to worry for that long. And frankly, I don't think you need to worry at all. I think we're going to come through this fine. But again, just having that conversation and acknowledging that, hey, I know you're all worried about your jobs, and and here's what I'm doing about it. Um, you know, I think that went a long way with the team. Oh, no kidding. And one thing I've always known is that. The more chaotic your mind gets, your home gets, your job gets, you know, you're irritated driving to and from work. If you're in a constant state of, oh, my God, your creativity just leaves. It doesn't even say goodbye. It just goes away. You're done. So staying calm, I think, is one of the smartest and wisest things anybody can do. And let's talk about how you do that because that's not everybody's norm. Excuse me. Yeah, um it, it it does seem to be my norm, so that that helps. I just I don't like chaos. I don't like drama, and and we say that a lot about work. This is a no drama workplace. Like we get excited when there's something to be excited about, but when something bad happens, we just we pause and we say, okay, let's let's talk about the problem. Okay, let's talk about how we're gonna how we're gonna get through it. And you know that's how we work anyway. And you know, the pandemic was that of blown up times, you know, a million, but we kind of just handled it the same way and just said, okay, here's the problems that we're seeing. Let's talk about ideas to, to get beyond that. And um, I think, again, just addressing things in a, in a very um, similar approach to how we worked anyway really helped. And part of what we did was say, okay, well, what's everybody working on right now? Let's talk about whether that's still even valid or not, because Lots of things have changed, but, you know, not everything has changed. So let's talk about what's really what we need to keep on schedule because we're going to come out of this at some point. We still know that we need new products for market. We release a collection twice a year, and we had every intention of, of doing that, and we did. I mean, we put together an entire line and shot an entire catalog during the pandemic. Um, and it was kind of funny because, you know, we used one photographer and one model at a time in someone's backyard with some props. But, you know, the catalog is one of the best ones we ever did. Like people just really had to reach into that creativity. Um, but, you know, we were able to keep certain things on track and, and keep them rolling. And we just had to do them a different way. Um, but we just really kind of stayed on top of it and talked about all of it. And then there were some things that we just said, you know what, that's not important at all anymore. Let's just put that on hold indefinitely and let's focus on these other things. And then, you know, as opportunities did come up with our, you know, our infinity head wrap or the button headband or um, stores that stayed open, like organic grocery stores, which you mentioned earlier, you know, they were able to stay open across the nation. And so we actually picked up some new accounts from some new organic grocery stores during the pandemic. So we kind of, you know, made that a priority when it hadn't even really been on our radar before. But just, you know, taking the problems one at a time and taking the opportunities one at a time and talking about, okay, well, who's going to handle that? Okay, we can't go into the office and do the big photo shoot. We can't go on location and do a big photo shoot. So how can we do it? And I don't know. I mean, we surprisingly, we kind of managed to even have a little bit of fun with it along the way. And, you know, the, the nice thing about this team is everybody is very human. Everybody cares very deeply about each other. And, 
you know, if somebody had an issue, somebody was always willing to, to jump in and say, hey, I can, you know, I got that, don't worry about it. Um, samples were a big issue because a lot of us have to touch and feel and look at samples and approve samples and use them for a photo shoot. So, you know, we would, we would have to figure out how to get them, like, to someone's house. And we did a lot of just kind of, um, we called them drive-by drop-offs where, you know, two people would meet halfway and hand off a bunch of samples to the next person that needed them. It was, it was really kind of funny, especially in the beginning when people were trying to figure out, like, you know, oh, are things transmitted via packaging and how do we do that? And so it was, it, you know, it's really kind of comical almost looking back some of the things that we did. But you know what? It worked and everybody worked together and we just stayed focused and stayed, you know, just, just kept at it. And that goes to how you're pivoting quickly to meet the needs of your consumers and your team. Because yes. if you can't meet both of those needs, ouch. Yeah, and, you know, one of the things, I mean, we talked a little bit about the consumer needs and, and how we recognized what she needed and we got a product out quickly. But, you know, one of the other things that you need to do that is, is just really great partners. And, you know, I, I feel very blessed to have done this last year, but I don't know, last year I just had that gut feeling about some of our suppliers and I just felt like we had too many suppliers. We weren't necessarily um, – very important to any of them, really, because we were just such a small part of their business. And and they were good at what they did, but I just didn't feel like they were going to be, you know, in it with us if we had an issue or if we had an opportunity that we could chase. So I really narrowed down our supplier base to, you know, just two or three key people that I felt like were just, you know, really good people. They understood our brand. They loved our brand. They you know, they were, when we had an opportunity, they were quick to jump in and say, sure, I can do that on, you know, a less lesser lead time. And uh, that was, that was huge. Um, we were able to get products all throughout this past year when we know a lot of our competitors um, just weren't able to. And that was strictly based on the, you know, the partnership that we had built before we needed them. And even down to payment terms, I mean, I, I was on the phone at night um, with some of our factory owners because they had, they had customers just like I did, just calling up saying, I'm sorry, but I can't pay, or I'm sorry, but I'm not oh. going to pay, or, oh, you're you kidding. know what, um, no. No, wait a minute, you're not kidding, so I know quickly. that happens, it just sounds so <laughs> bizarre, though. It, it does, and I, you know, I personally have never experienced that. It would never occur to me to not pay my bills, which is basically what I told my suppliers. I'm like, look, I, I, I keep reading about this, and, and there were a lot of large companies out there that basically just said, sorry, but we're not going to take the shipment that you have sitting on your dock, or we're not going to accept the shipment that's on its way, or you know, we're adding 90 days to our payment terms, or I know there were some people that said we're just – we're cutting all the costs by 30%. Like, I don't understand how how someone can do that. And that's certainly not how I worked. And I just made it very clear to my partners that, you know, I, I am going to pay you what I promised you. I am going to take the shipments that you're already working on. And, um, yeah, if we can work through some maybe different payment terms, that would be super helpful. Um, and that's what we did. So, you know, as opportunities came up, I just got on the phone with them and said, hey, I think there's a huge opportunity for these button headbands, um, but can you help me out with payment terms? And we just came to agreements and then just moved forward together. Um, but if I had still been, you know, scattered across multiple suppliers at that time, that would just never have happened. So, you know, I think that um, 
you really, if you need, if you want to be able to react and pivot quickly, you got to make sure that you have the right partners in place, you know, before you need that. And not only that, Lisa, but what you were just describing seems to me like knee-jerk reaction and very short-sighted because most things go yeah. away. You know, pandemics go away. The Spanish flu went away. You know, flu goes away. These things are not going to last forever and ever and ever. I don't care what the government says. It's not going to be forever. And people are going to remember when you shorted them or cheated them yeah. or lied to them or just treated them like you and you said, it, wow, you were not that important to them. So what are you thinking is going to happen? And I, I think I can guess to these people who just went, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God, the accountant says, and they did whatever they thought was the right thing to do at that time. How are their companies going to fare going forward? I mean, you have to know, like, and trust people, right? And if you don't right. know and like and trust a company that you did a lot of business with and all of a sudden they're saying basically, oh, heck with you, you know, we're in bad trouble, so we can't help you. What's going to happen to them, Dale? Karma. I think karma's going to happen, but that's just me. Yeah. Well, I yes, probably. Um, I, I do think a, a few very specific things will happen, though. I mean, it, there's no doubt. There were definitely some a, a lot of relationships very damaged by this, um, especially within you know the the retail and the supply chain um, part of that industry. Um, without a doubt, a lot of damage has been done. And I think what we'll see is just people are going to have to rebuild trust. And I think you'll see, um, you know, suppliers uh, insisting on payment up front or a bigger deposit up front. Um, And, you know, they're not just going to make things based on your word anymore. Or, you know, I always thought if I had a PO that was signed on both ends that that was, you know, that was the legal document. But apparently it isn't because, you know, a lot of people – just kind of disregarding that, and I don't know, maybe there's some fine print in there about, you know, things outside of your control, but um, I don't know. I don't. I can't afford lawyers that good right now, so I don't, I don't have those in mind. I just uh, expect that I'm going to have to pay things, but I think that you'll see some, some very hard terms, and I think that it may be harder for, especially for small, smaller players, to um, find people willing to work with them. Um, I mean, unfortunately, there are, are some companies that are just so big that not too many people are going to turn them away, even if they've been mistreated throughout this. But, you know, hopefully everybody just, um, you know, gets gets back to normal and gets back to normal business and um, does the right thing. And hopefully everybody remembers anybody that, you know, did did treat them well and, and do them a favor through all this and, and build from there. Exactly. Exactly. I would hope the same. So what else are you seeing that I'm not even thinking to ask you because this is a whole new kind of idea for me, and I'm actually fascinated by what you're sharing. But what do you see that other people maybe are not talking about? Maybe they're just now finding out, like, you know, with the supply chain and, you know, all of the the different things that you've been sharing. What are you seeing that other people aren't seeing? You might have just given me a hand up onto onto my soapbox here, Denise. Um, Go. (laughs) Go, go, go. uh, when I started out in my career, like prior to Abercrombie, I worked for a lot of small companies, mostly based in the South, and that was when we still had a lot of manufacturing here in the U.S. And it was it was very fortunate but very sad for me at that time because I literally started three jobs 
and then um, lost those three jobs one year after another um, the first three years that I graduated from college. And it was because I went to work for a company that made all their product in the USA, and then the factory shut down. And so I, you know, I very much lived that right when starting my career when everything was moving overseas, and it was really sad. But I still think I was fortunate because starting off in my career, I was able to drive down the street or walk down the hall and see American manufacturing. You know, I saw sewing, I saw printing, I saw embroidery, um, I saw knitting, you know, all of those things I did at least get exposure to in those first few years. And I think it's so sad. I actually went back to one of my offices um, in Virginia a couple of years ago. And the whole building had fallen down. No joke. It's just laying there in rubble. And it used oh, to be no. an amazing no. factory. And I just couldn't believe how fast that happened. And it was, I literally had tears in my eyes. And I was just angry about, you know, why has this happened? Like, we have to start making things here again. And the problem that most people don't realize is it doesn't, in my opinion, it doesn't do any good to sew things here if you still have to get the materials from overseas. I mean, it just doesn't make sense. If you've got to import the fabric and the elastic and the thread and all of these things, I mean, I think we're just kind of fooling everybody by putting those pieces together here. But maybe that's the first step. I don't know. But, you know, I think, again, during this pandemic with the need for PPP, we saw that we have to make things here in this country. And, you know, I hope that there's a resurgence around that. I hope that that doesn't go away as, you know, things go back to normal. Um, I hope that we've kind of learned a lesson there and that we can really start to do that. And, you know, it won't happen overnight. You've got to build a supply chain here if you want to make things here. And we're actually um, going to launch just a, a small collection um, this summer that's made, in, that's made in the U.S. And we're using kind of some dead stock fabric, which a lot of people are doing right now. You know, they had trouble getting new fabric, so people started to look at, well, what do we already have and how can we reuse that? And I think that's, you know, that's really smart. And especially as brands talk about being sustainable, well, of course we should be doing that anyway. So, you know, I really hope that there's a new momentum that comes around U.S. manufacturing, and I'm excited to kind of play in that a little bit. We're going to test the waters because I have found in the past, you know, consumers say I'll pay more, but they won't really. You know, they're not going to pay at least not much more for a similar product just because it was made here. So I think that's something that, you know, we as a country have to really figure out. You know, I'm watching Amazon and Amazon's in trouble, I think, a bit. If they're not, they should be, and that's just my opinion, but they've done some pretty ratty things. And there's a lot of talk that I come across people saying, look, I shut down Amazon. You know, I, I'm not buying anything. My dog coat, I had to go to Amazon to figure out what the brand was so I can go to the brand and buy it from them. I'm not buying a darn thing from, from Amazon anymore. I really am not. I'm terribly ticked off at them. And, you know, honestly, I'm not supporting local. I'm just not. So it's time for that. But I think... Over time, we are, and maybe this is just me being really hopeful, that people will say, listen, everything coming from overseas has been horrible, horrible. I mean, there's a lot, we buy a lot of stuff and we look at it, it's made in China, it's made in China, it's made in China. China's not our friend. It, just whatever you want to say, I'm, I'm going to say it out loud, they're not our friend. But American careers are where we need to be. American companies are where we need to be. I will pay more and I'll even pay shipping. I don't like it. <laughs> I don't want to pay shipping. <laughs> I, 
<laughs> but know, I, I will I hope, do it. I hope that that's I hope that's true of a lot more people, and I think so far it isn't. And and I'll be very honest. I have spent a lot of my adult life in China, and I have a little bit different view on it because um, I I don't just see, you know, China. I I immediately start visualizing people that I I know and I care deeply about. And, you know, people are people and everything needs a job. Well, no, and yeah, tell I mean, us I, more I about that of... because that's important for people not to take my attitude, which is flexible, that China's bad, China's bad. Right now I think they are, but tell me why they're not because I need to have another perspective. Sure. Um, I mean, I, I think people are people. And, you know, you can say a lot of things about, about the government, various governments all over the world. And, and, and I'm not discounting that. I mean, there, there is a lot of things that goes on. There are a lot of things that concern me for sure. But, you know, when I talk about my suppliers in China, they are people that I feel like I have a great relationship I know them. Um, I've met so many workers while I'm there. I've met so many kind people. I've met families. I I love the way um, the family unit still works in China. Um, you know, I we actually get pictures from our suppliers right now. They're on Chinese New Year and they're having a big family dinner and they're sending us photos. Well, of, you know, the, the the big dinner that you know they made together with their mother and their grandmother and their aunt and the the you know the little girls in the family and they're all just enjoying each other. So I just I very much have that view also and I you know. I have made some commitments to say, hey, you really helped me out during this time, and, you know, I'm going to help you grow your business, you're going to help me grow mine, and we're going to be great partners. And, you know, I think there will always be a piece of that that continues for me. But I think there is that other piece that I want to bring in where we are making things here also. Um, I don't think it has to be all or nothing. I think that we can do something that makes sense. And, you know, we do get a lot of comments from people, or I have a lot of conversations with people that that I'm um, run into at market where, you know, the buyer will say, well, where are your things made? And I say, well, you know, a lot of our things are made in China, uh, but we have, you know, two key suppliers that we know well, and they're, they're great. And, you know, for us, there's just no way that I can make a product here in the U.S. and still do the um, the meal give back. It just wouldn't happen. And so, again, that's mm. something we had a lot of conversations about when I started here was the sourcing base. And we decided, you know what, we said that feeding kids is one of the most important things to us. And right now, making things overseas allows us that flexibility in pricing that then we can turn around and, and give those that extra money to create these meals. So there's there's a lot of things to balance here for us. And, and that's why I say I don't think it's all or nothing for us. I think we have to find that balance of, you know, we want to create jobs here. Um, we want to bring back some manufacturing here. But we also have to keep top of mind that we got to be able to still you know, afford to be able to, to pay for these meals. And, and that's not an easy thing to do even now. So then when you suddenly are having to, to you know, change your whole supply base and, and, you know, we would, we would have to spend more to do it here. We want to make sure that we don't lose that. Does that make sense? It does. And I'm so glad that you're able to share your, your experiences with China with me because I admit I was getting pretty irritated by the whole thing. And you said something really really important in that is people are people and I had forgotten that so thank you oh well you're very welcome and, and you know and I, I like I say I've had that conversation fairly frequently with with people and 
you know, everybody deserves a great job. Everybody deserves a, a paycheck. And, you know, I've, I've been to a lot of places in China that are, are very poor. And, um, you know, you think dormitory, and I'm sure there are some terrible setups. I'm not saying that that does not exist. But, you know, a, a lot of the places that I've been have, it's a great option for people who are looking for work and can't afford their own housing. And, you know, the fact that, you can work and, you know, have a roof over your head and, you know, get, uh, you know, three meals a day. Um, there's something about that. And most people in that situation are also sending money home to their families. And, you know, it's just it's a, just a very different dynamic than what we're used to here in the U.S. And I think you have to really look at it through through a different lens. Exactly. People are people. Before I let you go, can you spend a couple more? We've got 22 seconds. Can you spend a couple more minutes with me and um, share any advice for female professionals working to build their careers? Yes, absolutely. I've been fortunate. I've worked with so many young women, and I've been there for all of those milestones that, you know, getting engaged, getting married, having children, or just, you know, getting promoted and working that career thing. And my main advice is, People get so hung up on what they think work-life balance is supposed to mean. And you know what? I don't know what that means. I, I just think you don't get hung up on it. And priorities change. Some years you're going to focus on your career because there's an amazing opportunity and you should. And some years you got to focus more on your child or maybe on your marriage or whatever. And you know what? Every year is not going to be your best year ever at work. And that's okay. You know, maybe that's the year that you did something amazing with your family. And, you know, I think you just have to find your own path and, you know, set your own timelines. And it's okay to, you know, compare yourself to others to kind of benchmark where you are in your career, but you really just have to be on your own timeline. You have to do whatever works for you. And if complete separation works for you, great. That never worked for me. I always had a very integrated work and life. My daughter used to come to work with me and, you know, my husband would bring her by and we'd go grab dinner and then sometimes I'd go right back to work. But, you know, I had a couple of amazing opportunities in my career and we recognized those for what they were. And, you know, we just, we just made it work. We just kind of wove it all together and, and didn't really care much about what everybody else thought. We just did what worked for our family. Good for you. Lisa, where can people find you? Um, they can find me on LinkedIn under Lisa Power Struble. They can find me on uh, Facebook and Instagram. Look under uh, Banded. Um, our website is Banded Together with the number two, and we are on all the social media platforms. Oh, thank you, Lisa. It's thank you for chatting with me. It's been a fascinating conversation to me. I mean, I learned so much from you that I would have never thought to ask. And I also had to put aside at least one of my my biases. So I really appreciate that. So it's been oh, well, really thank wonderful. Thank you so much. I mean, seriously, I, I try not to watch the news. I don't like the news. I don't trust them. But it's hard sometimes not to say, it's out of our hands. You know, it's China's fault. It's Amazon's fault. It's somebody. And that's just thinking, thinking, and I know better, but I was wallowing in it, so you saved me. Thank you. Oh, well, thank you so much, Denise, and I hope I didn't get a little too much on a couple of my soapboxes there, but I, oh, I really no, appreciate, no, no. appreciate the that opportunity was, to, to talk to you. It was, it was fantastic. Thank you so much. Well, it was wonderful, and I really appreciate your soapboxes, so thank you for all of the wonderful tips and advice that you've shared with our audience and young entrepreneurs, female entrepreneurs and consumers. And before we say goodbye, I would like to re- 
remind our audience to be sure to look for us in iTunes. And honestly, anywhere else you consume your business cast, you can f- podcast, you can find us on uh, Audible now. So just look for your partner in Success Radio and take us along on your success journey. Lisa, thank you so much. Get your voice heard. If you would like to launch your own far-reaching podcast, contact Denise Griffiths at yourofficeontheweb.com and go to the podcast tab. 